Welcome once again to the Ohio State of Mind, powered by Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. Alongside Tyler Danberg, I'm Caleb Spinner. Once again, we have a short week to preview for you, but a lot of stuff to break down over the weekend. But before we get into it, as I've said for the past couple episodes, we are now on Twitter at State of Mind OSU, at State with a capital S of capital M I N D. OSU. Make sure you're following us on Twitter for accurate episode release times. The link to our Twitter account is in the description below. Tyler, let's not waste any more time. Get right into it. Number seven, Ohio State Wrestling hosted number two, Iowa, on Friday the 21st. They fell to the Hawkeyes 21 to 12. Iowa coming in, you knew they were going to put up a fight. But Ohio State, they put up a great showing. But you knew that they had to be fatigued from hosting number four Michigan just the weekend prior. And what amazed me too, Caleb, is that this wasn't just the only team they were taking on. They took on Maryland. They beat them 39-4. to But three wrestlers I was really impressed at in that Iowa duel. It's got to start with, at 125, Malik Heinzelman upsetting number 10, Drake Ayala. That was huge to get things started, set the tone. Also, Carson Karchla beat number one, Alex Marinelli, at 165. And then Caleb Romero had a ferocious sudden victory takedown at 184 against number 18, Abe Asad. Threw Cavelli into an absolute insane asylum at that time. Just a huge takedown there by Romero. As I mentioned earlier, though, uh, Caleb Romero and I went to high school together. Another guy we went to high school with, Isaac Bryant. Um, he's a really good singer. We'll, we'll put it simply. But he did the uh, national anthem, actually, at the OSU uh, uh, wrestling match. So a, a quick shout-out to my buddy there. It's coming up all Mechanicsburg. Yeah, well, he's in he's in uh, Men's Glee with me, too. Oh, no way. Yeah, I, I'm his act- so we have big and littles, just like fraternities do. He's my little. So, I mean, it works out well. I, the Berg Boys coming in full force. <laughs> Number two, women's hockey. Two games that you and I were both in attendance for. I was on air for Big Ten Network Plus, and you were with our very own Zachary Rodier on SGSR, a great set of games. The Buckeyes split the series with the Bulldogs Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd. In Game 1, Ohio State lost one to nothing. No goals from either team until 59-28 in the game. To put it in perspective, in the final 30 seconds of the third period, it was a miraculous showcase of defense. And in Game 2, speaking of defense, Sophie Jakes, the defenseman, scored her 15th goal of the year. She leads the team in that category and put up her 39th point of the season. Another thing she leads in, but not the team this time, the nation. Now, I will say, she added on two more points in that series. We don't know yet the tallies uh, from the stats of the other uh, weekend pairings that were going around around the country. So maybe she still leads the nation, maybe not. But I think her performance there was fantastic. But the main takeaway I, I have from that, Tyler, is that defense came up. Ohio State usually an offensive heavy team, but it was defense who won the day for the Buckeyes, especially in game two. Well, I think with the way Minnesota Duluth played, Caleb, Ohio State, they had to really change the way they played. They're a very one-directional team. They play forward. This time they had to play end-to-end in both those games, and they definitely bounced back and came out raring to go in that second game. They just got things started early. They set the tone, they set the pace, and they outshot the Bulldogs by an overwhelming margin of 20-plus of the difference. Can't score the puck if you don't shoot the puck, but two other shout-outs I think we we need to give. JoJo Chobeck and Amanda Teeley. 
the goaltenders for Minnesota Duluth and Ohio State, respectively, both were filling in for their starters who were out at the Olympics, Emma Soderberg and Andrea Brandley. Both of those, again, going to the Olympics, having to have the backups step up. They faced a flurry of shots, particularly Chobak for the Bulldogs, and just came up phenomenally. Let in, you know, only four goal or only three goals rather on the on the series. Teeley only let in two. It was really impressive to see the goaltending performance. The fact that Chobak had never played in a collegiate game for UMD, Amanda Teeley getting her first big start where this is her net as Zachary Rodier and I were talking about during the radio call that you know, that's what it's all about. Now she's stepping into the forefront and she's at the helm and she's got security, Teely does. These two goaltenders faced over 100 shots combined and they gave up a whopping five goals combined, which is just an unbelievable safe percentage for a ridiculous amount of volume that these two netminders saw in this two-game series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're going back to, I'm sure you guys mentioned it on your pregame show, I said it during our broadcast, but if you go back to the last series that Ohio State women's hockey played, it was at home against Lindenwood on January 3rd and 4th. The series at at St. Cloud State was postponed. They rescheduled one, uh, a quick aside here, they rescheduled one, not both of the games, for February 8th at 5 p.m. at St. Cloud State. But getting back to my point here, Ohio State scored 18 games in those or 18 goals rather in those two games combined. So to have all of a sudden a five goal series both from the Bulldogs and Ohio State bundling their goal scoring together, that was a shock. It's a ridiculous rate, Caleb, and the way they're scoring, the way they're distributing the puck and how they share it. It's at a rapid pace and 22 of 25 skaters have scored a goal this year, which is impressive in its own right. So OSU, the way that they are going in terms of offensive production, it's at an unbelievable pace. I mean, you can't argue with the production that you got from the Buckeyes in game three, or in game two, rather. Came out, struck them early in the first period. We didn't have to wait long for a goal, maybe 10 minutes roughly, and... Ohio State just, they had the chip on their shoulder. You could tell. You could tell they went to the locker room, the vibe in the stadium. They went to the locker room after game one, absolutely mad at the world. Now, there was a bunch of controversy for people who weren't there about an icing call that was maybe called a couple seconds late. And then when Ohio State netted a puck uh, with 2.1 seconds left at the horn, it was two tenths short of going across. So they ruled it no goal. Minnesota had the win. A lot of Ohio State fans were frustrated at that outcome, saying that if the if the icing call had been called appropriately rather than waiting for it, then that goal would have stood. But you could tell Ohio State didn't take it personally, but they knew we don't like how losses feel. We're going to come out and we're going to make you feel our presence in Game 2. I think that unrest feeling not only just happened by the officiating, Caleb, but also... Minnesota Duluth, and rightfully so, when they won that game, it was pretty much like celebration-wise that they had won the gold medal. And rightfully so, I mean, they knocked off the number two team of the country, they played a hard-fought game, and they won in the final 30 seconds. So of course they're going to be excited. But Ohio State probably used that as bulletin board material, fuel for game two, and they took it to them right off the rip. Just a total contrast between Game 1 and Game 2. 
for Coach Nadine Mutzerell's Buckeyes. Sticking on the sport of hockey, but switching over to the men's side of things, the Ohio State men's hockey team had a two-game series in Michigan State East, lancing the location for that one. Once again, also on Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd, Ohio State swept Michigan State, winning 4-1 in the first one, and then 3-2 in the series finale. They take the win in the series, uh, in the season series, rather, three games to one. Ohio State gave up their first power play goal since January 8th, but freshmen really played a factor, especially in that second game, Tyler. Freshman Georgie Merkulov, Cam Thiesing, and Mason Lorai all had two points in the second game. Merkulov and Thiesing both had goals that were assisted by Lorai on, and then Dobesh set a new career high, 40 saves, the man faced 42 shots, let through two, but stopped many more than he let in. Just an impressive night from the four freshmen. I think let's start with Dobesh because his last three games, he's got 109 saves. These freshmen, especially this skater trio of Merkulov, Thiesing, and Lorai, what a, what production we're seeing from these three especially I think that part of the reason Ohio State has surprised so many people and they've became the story of college hockey, really, Caleb, because they were projected to be last in the Big Ten. Now they're atop the Big Ten standings tied at 33 points with Michigan. And I think these freshmen are a big part of it because I don't think anybody realized what we were all in for in terms of fans and what we were supposed to see from Merkulov, Thiesing, Lorai, Dobesh, on and on. But now that they're continuing to perform, I think that it's safe to say that they are clearly exceeding expectations. And I think this freshman class is boasting a lot of this success for Steve Rowlick and his Buckeye crew. And it was really evident in game two of the series and in both games of this series. Both the Buckeyes and the Wolverines have 33 conference points. That does put them tied for first in the standings, as you mentioned. But. I, I mean, if you're an Ohio State fan, this has to be a fantastic season for you. Ohio State, like you mentioned, supposed to be at the bottom of the conference, now tied for top with Michigan, who had four of the first five picks in the NHL draft last year. Incredible program. So to be tied with them for the top in the conference at this point, you can't be mad at Ohio State. Sure, there are some things that you can you can nitpick, Passing could be crisper, especially as you saw in the first series at Columbus against Michigan State. Um, there are certain times where Ohio State will trail uh, going into the latter bits of a game and then come back to win. So there are always things that you can poke at and say that this can be better. But at the end of the day, I don't know a single person in Columbus who is not satisfied with an 18-7-1 record with a chance to go even higher in the win column with a series at Penn State, who's 5-11 and 11 right now. And I think the key quality of that is be, is going to be the offense because, and I think this was on display this weekend, Caleb, because you know what the defense is going to bring. The special teams has gotten better game in and game out, getting hot at the right time on both sides of the puck, power play and penalty kill. But the offense proved something this weekend in East Lansing, that they can score seven goals against the top goalie in the conference in Drew DeRitter. They really did a good job exposing him. 
They were able to go mix up their looks, mix up their different shots. They went stick side. They went glove side. They really threw DeRitter into the ringer, and they just loaded up the slots. They wreaked traffic. They were just able to control and dictate the pace of the play, and they outshot Michigan State well in that game one. But game two was the opposite. They got heavily outshot. Ohio State did, let alone the Spartans had 17 shots on goal in the third period. Ohio State had nine. The last two periods were not good for aggressiveness, but what Ohio State did is that they maximized the opportunities and they were able to just light the lamp, cross the goal line, and make the most of the opportunities that they were given. Yeah, Ohio State did exactly what they wanted to do to fool DeRitter. You know going into it that you're going to play the best Big Ten goaltender when it comes to uh, save percentage and the third best when it comes to goals against average, but they knew from the post conference, from the press conference on Wednesday, we knew that Ohio State wanted to crowd an area in front of the net. If you get bodies in the crease, he can't see around it as as well as the six four Dobesh, the six six Eric Portillo from Michigan, taller goalies in the conference. He can't see as well as they can. So if you crowd him, you change up your looks at the point in the slot with your D-men and whoever the two wingers are, if you want to crowd with one or two, your remaining forwards, as long as you're keeping them in a constant state of rotation, making sure that Michigan State is always on their back foot and DeRitter is off his game, he can't track the puck, that's when you get the surprise windows to shoot into, which Ohio State took advantage of. And the Buckeyes have a great scoring defense. They've got blue liners that can fill it up, and I think that if you use a guy like Mason Lorai, in which they did this series... He was able to create a lot of tipping goals. Laura had a couple of assists in this series because he ripped in shots from the point, but they were going to be deflected, redirected, tipped in, like that Camden Thiessen goal, for example, to start off game two. I think that was a key for exposing to Ritter. And if Ohio State, if they continue to face like Penn State, that next week when they face Soulier or Audio, because they're both two relatively smaller guys, but if they face a guy like Liam Soulier this weekend, in-state college, I think they go to the same thing because he's around the same height as DeRitter at 5'11". So that's something to take a look at, and I'm sure we'll probably address that on the later week portion of the show. But I also want to talk about the other side of the puck quickly, Caleb, because I think another thing that stood out to me, shot blocking. 63 combined block shots for OSU against Michigan State. Sparty got a lot of shots. They put him on Dobesh. Dobesh had to make a lot of saves. He did, but Ohio State took some pressure off Dobesh by getting in front, crouch blocking, dive blocking, just getting into the shooting lane at the left circle or the right circle or at the low and high slots. They did a really good job in doing that. They had 39 alone in that game one victory. Those are 63 bruises that oh. Dobesh has to thank his his, uh, his forwards and, and D-men for taking for him. Because if you've watched hockey for any stretch of time, you know that a goalie's chest pad is much thicker than what the forwards and the D-men are wearing. So to take shots like that, and, and going back and re-watching that, we weren't in East Lansing, but um, we went back and watched the replays on Big Ten Plus. They Those were some tough shots. Those had a lot of ELO behind them. So, you know, when it, when you have a team who's willing to get black and blue for their buddy in the net, that's when you know that you've got a really strong team, and Ohio State proved it in a two-game series this weekend. Wrestling, as you got ahead of me with in our first one, Tyler, stop reading ahead of my out, of my right. outlines. 
I swear I will stop sharing them with you if I if I if you do it again. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> Ohio State wrestling did face Maryland as well. They had two games the weekend, as we said, uh, versus Iowa on Friday, and then versus Maryland on Sunday. The Buckeyes blew out the Terrapins, thirty-nine to four, a massive conference win after two losses for Ohio State. Certainly cleansed their palate after those two losses to Michigan and Iowa, respectively. But Ohio State won nine of the ten matchups in the win against the Terrapins. A dominating performance and a great return to form for the wrestling Buckeyes. You talk about a quick turnaround. That Friday to Sunday in-betweener Big Ten matchup, you go from Iowa to Maryland, that's the definition of it. And I think OSU, they really held their own. Even though they lost 21-12 to against Iowa, they had a lot of momentum moving forward. And I think they brought that right into Maryland. It's that quick little spurt. Some adjustments needed to be made, and I think they made the most of them. Yeah, I re- they did. They just plain and simply did what needed to be done to get the win over Maryland, and you can't argue with that. I mean, Ohio State knew what they wanted to do. They went in. They did it. So it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State carries this momentum into the remainder of their Big Ten schedule. We know that the Big Ten is a dominant conference in a lot of sports, wrestling in particular. So Ohio State is going to have their work cut out for them in the last half of the season. But if they do what they did against Maryland, the rest of the Buckeye fans are going to have an easy time going through the rest of the season because Ohio State's going to win a lot more than they lose there. Women's basketball, our final game of the weekend to get to, had Rutgers at Rutgers on Sunday the 23rd. The Buckeyes dethroned the Scarlet Knights 80-71. to And I think we're just going to spend a short time talking about this, Tyler. Everything that happened in this game is exactly what we've talked about before. Sheldon and Mike Sell, your usual suspects. 32 points for J.C. Sheldon, team high. 21 points for Taylor Mike Sell. But here's what I wanted to talk about specifically. Is the load sharing that Ohio State is doing right now. Seven different Buckeyes played. And the one who played the the fewest minutes had 13. Ohio State seems to be putting their eggs in a few in fewer and fewer baskets, not spreading around the time on the floor as much, which is fine because you get to put on your seven best girls instead of your 12. But at the same time, you're going to deal with fatigue as you go to play multiple games in a short period. And you're not fully utilizing the depth, which we know, which we know Ohio State has a lot of. They do. And... I believe that this seven-player lineup might not be the best fit for every single game, but in one where everybody on the floor outside of these seven players have gotten involved at the rate that Harris, Sheldon, Miller, Theory, Mikulashikova, Mike Sell, and Beecham did against Rutgers, I think there's no need to go beyond the seven-player threshold. Braxton Miller was the only one who didn't score in this game, and she still had nine boards, she had three assists, and forced a couple turnovers. So everybody found ways to get involved to contribute to this victory, and Kevin McGuff didn't have to really go to anybody outside of the first seven players in this rotation, and I think you're starting to see, Caleb, that Ohio State, not only are they getting hot, but just in terms of they're they're heating up from all facets 
of the game, really. I mean, they're winning games. They're shooting well. They're doing everything they need to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I think, too, you're starting to see who the key fixtures are. And not just Taylor Mikesell and Chasey Sheldon. We're seeing who can contribute on a game-to-game basis. Off the bench, too. It's it's, it's one thing to have Rebecca Mikula-Shakova spell uh, Mikesell and Sheldon when they're on there, but Mikula-Shakova's in the starting five. Seeing who's the who the two others coming off the bench are going to be, who are able to provide, provide that depth scoring. We look at the we look at the men's basketball team. We know who those guys are. We know it's Kyle Young. We know when Seth Towns and Justice Suing, assuming the rotation stays the same, I'm not going to comment on who I think should sit in, who should sit out between Branham and Zed Key, who took care of uh, those starting roles with Suing and Towns out. But if we're looking at the men's team, they have. Numerous amounts of guys who can come in and spell these starters from the bench. Ohio State is slowly figuring out who they want to do that with or who's who the people are who they're going to rely on when their starters need a break. And looking at the schedule, I think this was the perfect game to test that out with. If you're going to have a game where you only play seven players, knowing that five already start for you, so knowing you have five and then two off the bench, this is the game to do it because you get Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to rest before you host Michigan in your home territory, you know there's going to be fans coming in there. You're going to have home court advantage. So I think this is the time where Ohio State has a little bit of that built-in break period to really test out and see who who you can rely on. It keeps the legs fresh 100%. And going back to what you were saying about, about emerging talent, I think there's no other example better than Taylor Theory. Last year's Division II Player of the Year in the state of Ohio at Laurel High School in the Cleveland area on the east side. She comes in highly touted, and she has really lived up to the hype. And these last couple of games, she has been on a tear. She had a couple big buckets a game ago. Then she goes to Piscataway, plays Rutgers. She puts up 25 minutes on the floor. Five points, six boards, a couple of assists. Draws a couple fouls, commits a couple. But she's doing everything on both sides of the ball. She's a really all-around player. And I think that Kevin McCuff realizes that if you have somebody that has the prowess on offense and defense and to give a certain amount of output in just her freshman season, she's very valuable. And she is a highly touted asset to this Ohio State team. And I think she's going to continue to have that impact as we roll along, especially Thursday when Ohio State takes on Michigan. I'll tell you what, one who I really want to start getting time because I think she can contribute to Ohio State in a major way is Gabby Hutchison. I think she has a very unique ability because of her size. At 6'2", she's only two inches smaller than the tallest player on the Buckeyes roster, Mikula Shakova at 6'4". I think she has a unique ability to utilize length to get to the ball to get to the basket she's able to extend on layups from a lot further away she's able to use that ability to shoot from three and drive I think if you utilize her she'll be able to do wonders for you especially when Madison Green comes back fingers crossed it's in time for the tournament but it will probably be next season most likely is when we'll see her those two can really be a damaging duo similar to the likes of Sheldon and Mike Sell right now. Yes, they can. And Hutcherson also has really good pull-up game. She can spot up from anywhere inside the arc, let alone from beyond it. So that's 
at added value as well because Ohio State, it seems like they're either getting buckets in transition from three or going to the post and sizing up their opponents or just turning away and getting something up and getting it down to fall. Going into our preview of the week, speaking of women's basketball, Ohio State plays Michigan, hosts Michigan, I should specify, Thursday, January 27th at 6 p.m. You can watch it on Big Ten Network or attend it in person at the Schottenstein Center in Columbus. The Buckeyes fell to the Wolverines on December 31st, New Year's Eve, 71-90 to in Ann Arbor. But Ohio State, they had several aspects of their game absent from that game. But right now, going into this one, they're a puzzle with all their pieces, Tyler. They are. They're a totally different team from December 31st of 2021. First off, you know, the new year, new team, it doesn't make that much of an impact. But for Ohio State, I think it does. They look completely different from when they did. They've patched up a lot of their issues. They have found more consistent pieces in the lineup and in the rotation. So they're a totally different team. I think Michigan is seeing that too. I think Kim Barnes-Orico has noticed, as she is a really attentive head coach for Michigan, that Ohio State, they're adaptable, they're much better, and they're improving as each game goes on. I think for OSU, the game plan is simple. Stop the inside work. Nas Hillman might win Big Ten Player of the Year for the second consecutive year. She's really impressive. Last time Michigan came to Columbus, she put up 50. Just a record-setting performance in Wolverine program history. Again, this U of M program, this is the best season they're having in school history, and it's not even close. As the last couple of years, they've been a program on the rise, but historically, they aren't that great. But now they're really starting to create this identity, and I think that's added a lot of substance to this rivalry. And I think this second game and series finale on the season, at least in the regular season, maybe we'll see something in the Big Ten tournament and beyond. Who knows? But still, for this season series finale, that can add a lot to it. Can make for a really good game. Yeah, it certainly has added a lot more to the rivalry. We'll go back to the hockey series that we had, Ohio State hosting Michigan. Of course, you're going to get fans in the seats for Michigan versus Ohio State anything. But it, it, with that, with the hockey series, it was you know a ranked game, a ranked matchup with Big Ten conference standings. For this one, Ohio State wasn't at their best the last time they played the Wolverines. The Wolverines came in the last time they played in Columbus, like you said, fifty point night, one of the best nights in history. Michigan has become a standout program. You and I pay attention to that stuff. Fans don't need to. They'll come into this one. They'll cheer it, whether Ohio State had yet to win a game or were undefeated. you know. But I feel like for us, the analysts who break it down, this is exciting that Michigan has developed their program into one of the contenders in women's college basketball. Ohio State now is at as full a strength as they're going to get. Still, Madison Green sidelined one of their stars from last season. They're not going to get her back before this before the end of the year. So you're as you're as bet you're as good as you can be if you're Ohio State. And if you're if you're focusing on Michigan, their uncanny ability to get the ball in the paint, I would love to see Ohio State on defense implement a zone here. I think if you go gap help defense, you're able to crowd the paint as soon as they bring it in. Even if you allow them to get the ball into the paint, then you've got three people converging. If you go two, three, you've got three people then converging in on the ball. If they want to kick it out, spread it back out again. 
But the second the ball gets into the paint, which you know Michigan is going to do a lot of, you're already there on it. They can't do anything with it. I think this is a game where you see, Caleb, a lot of Ohio State's guards step up. A Kateri Poole, a Ricky Harris, J.C. Sheldon. These are players that get a lot of steals. That helps side defense. I think that's got to be the go-to game plan. I mean, of course, we're looking from the outside and we're peering in. But again, I think that zone defense could be a great alternative because you definitely have to mix up what Michigan's expecting and they're expecting what you did on December 31st on New Year's Eve 2021. Again, lots changed since then, so why not have that change go into play on Thursday night? Yeah, it'll be an interesting one on Thursday night. Also on Thursday, our final game of the week before our Friday episode, men's basketball at Minnesota on Thursday the 27th at 8 p.m. You can watch it on ESPN. Minnesota 11-5 overall, 2-5 in the conference. They've lost four of their last five games, but they did have a win in their last outing, and the outing before Penn State was postponed. So they started off four of their last six with losses, but then postponed in a win. So they're coming in with a little bit of momentum there, Tyler, having won their last one. But also, do they still have the rust on them from the postpone with Penn State? You've got to wonder. You have to really think about this one. I think it's going to come down to the fact that you live and die by the three. Minnesota, they're going to have to live by the three ball if they're going to want to sustain this momentum, try and play off of what they did against Rutgers. Pretty good team the Scarlet Knights have under Coach Peichel. But anyways, Minnesota, they shot really well from deep. Peyton Willis knocked down eight three balls last weekend. I think that's going to be a key. Can they ride that? They were ranked last. They came into the game last in the Big Ten in three-point shooting, but they would have been nowhere near into that game than they would have been had they shot the ball well. So that shooting is really going to have to go into effect. Ohio State, they defend the three better than a lot of teams do in the Big Ten. So if they can match up the strengths against the emerging strengths for the Golden Gophers, It could be an interesting one. I I think that playing it in Minneapolis definitely plays a role here. Caleb and I, I think that anything can go. UM, it's a tough place to play. They got upsets last year when fans weren't even in the stands. They've played teams like Michigan State tough. They lost to the Spartans a couple weeks ago by two. That's it. So they play teams tough. I think for Ohio State, you play your game. You do what you do. You utilize the depth. That IUPUI game was great. But Minnesota's a totally different opponent. And I think they realize that. There's a big difference between Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and a Big Ten opponent, no matter if it's Purdue or if it's Minnesota. And I think they just go to the bench, see what's doing, and look to just try and go at them. I think that's the key. Go at them, get the ball where you want them, and get Minnesota as uncomfortable and on their heels as you can make sure you're following the show at state of mind osu on twitter the link is in the description so make sure you're following us for accurate show release times we we were we were in the osu ice rink for both games this weekend for minnesota duluth ohio state in the osu ice rink an arena that has maybe six or seven no more than eight rows of bleachers in it it was a packed house Athletic Band was in there. You guys had them in your left ear, could barely hear each other on the radio call. 
But this is something that Tyler and I have talked about multiple times is opening up St. John Arena to host the women's hockey team. That's your question of the day. What do you think? Should we open up St. John's Arena with minimal res- uh, renovations to accommodate the hockey team? Should we bring the men in there too? Should we make that just the home of Ohio State hockey? Let us know your thoughts in the answer to our question of the day on Spotify. Until Friday, that'll do it for us. For Tyler Danberg, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. We're out of here.